Welcome back to the MMA Origin Stories podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by my little mate from South Wales, international combat sports MC, Ricky Wright. A big thanks to Advantage Designer Build, Mauler MMA and Fight Foam for your ongoing support. As always, to play us in is my good friend and singer of the Seven Seas, Lewis Clay. Ricky, thanks for joining us tonight, bud. How are you doing? I am doing really good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> yeah, tickety-boo, mate. Tickety-boo. Tickety-boo. So, um, so Ricky, so yeah, so the, uh, the, the, the martial arts or the, the MMA world or combat sports, Mr... Mr. Oh, what was it? Mr. Eurosport that Ron used to call you, or or Mr. Sky Sports. Mr. Oh, Mr. Sky Sports. Yeah. <laughs> I so miss Rick, Ron. I, uh, he's he, he, watch this space, Rick. Watch this space. That's all I can say. He, he, the bomber yeah. man might be coming back, but uh, we'll see. Hey. We'll see how he gets on. Uh, <laughs> but mate, so everybody knows you as as an international combat sports official uh combat sports official combat sports mc extraordinaire mr imaf and uh and and anything else that that gets slung around um but let's take everyone back to 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 probably the bits that a lot of them don't know well a lot about how you got into combat sports as a as a as a start your, your, your journey for you some people probably don't realize that you did fight um, yourself back in back when you was a back when you was a, a rowdy youth in uh, in south wales well st- still a rowdy but not so youthful now in south wales and uh, and then obviously your journey through um your journey through your MCing career as well to to date would would and would probably be interesting to quite a lot of people mate or at least i hope it would so um let's let's go back to the beginning rick maybe not Maybe not when you was about three or four days old, but but a little bit after that, <laughs> uh, just <laughs> just take it through. So, what what was you like as a as a nipper then, Rick? Was you was you into martial arts at all? Like uh, growing up, I'd watch the boxing, uh, you know, like the old school nineties guys like uh, Frank Bruno, um, uh, Prince Nazim Hamed, uh, Steve Robinson. Uh, Nicky Piper and Chris Eubank and Nigel Benn and and I really got into them Saturday night fights you know you'd watch them yeah. downstairs you, you'd ask your, your parents if you could stay up and watch the fights before you go to bed late and they were good you know but like then I kind of like I think most boxing went over to Sky and, and I just lost interest uh, and with any martial arts and 
you know, I, growing up, I liked watching pro wrestling. I did like watching martial arts films and stuff, but uh, it wasn't really, you know, interesting. But I, I like, I started hanging out with this this guy called Anthony, and he trained MMA down a gym in Panath with like Paul Jenkins and uh, Sam John. And one night, I got into a scrap in at a gig, and I ended up like smashing this guy who was a lot bigger than me and uh i basically just closed my eyes and hoped for the best and when i got pulled off i had a lot less blood on me than he did and you know basically then the, ne- the next day like that night then anthony came over and was like oh my god that was awesome rick when did you do the fight like i was like uh, i didn't didn't know how to fight. I just 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 went for it. He's like, "Come over to my house. Is is a live UFC on tonight on Satanta? Uh, Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz." And I was like, "Yeah, sounds good." And I went over his house. I fell asleep. I watched uh, the Genki Sudo fight, and then I fell asleep and I missed the rest of the fights. But like, I was kind of afraid that the guy I had a fight with was gonna, you know, he's bigger than me. He hung in like hard circles. I thought oh, I'm a t- I've made a target for myself now. So I thought I'd better yeah. start training the very next day. Uh, Anthony, uh, started training me MMA. Uh, it was mad because Anthony's father was a caretaker of, of a school and Anthony would go down three times a week to train in Panath, which is a good, like hour on the train. And then every Sunday we'd go into the school We'd break into the school, throw the mats on the floor, and he would teach us all these techniques and stuff. And a lot of the times we were training, because it was a Sunday morning, we were hungover. But back in them days, you could train hungover. It didn't really matter because, you know, you, you had all the energy for days. Like, you could drink three nights in a row and then be hungover. But he would teach us these techniques and stuff. And then after a while, then, I started going down to Panath with him, which was, was a nightmare because... Now we're on the train down there, but on the way back, it was like two hours because you'd have to like get a train from Panath to Cardiff, wait for 40 minutes and get another train home. So there's a lot of dedication. But like Paul Jenkins was and Sam John were the main coaches at that gym. And um like Paul was the most active fighter in the UK at the time. He was he was fighting every week and uh he was he had a quite a strong presence on the Cage Warriors forum. So I, I ended up signing up to that and then just being this really mouthy teenager, like <laughs> mouth mouth mouthing off at guys on the forum that were pretty much batting me, but I was like proper keyboard warrior and I mean I kind of matured. So like when I did meet these guys, these real double R bastards, they they just they they kind of liked me in the end. Which was, yeah. which was which was a relief, you know. But I got to know so many, <laughs> so many people from the UK and May scene from the, the Cage Warriors forum, like guys like Ian Dean, Ian Butlin, Aaron Chatfield, Sledge, and uh, a lot of the characters from there. So like, uh, and through there, I was like, oh, I'm I'm quite connected now in in, yeah. in the UK and May scene. But I'm actually really doing. I'm just a fat kid who trains. MMA three times a week and um, so I, I kind of like would I remember 
messaging then the then promoter of uh, Cage Warriors, Dougie Truman, and saying like, "I want to be an MMA promoter too. Can I? Can I come and shadow an event?" And uh, he said, "Yeah." And I caught a train up to Cage Warriors, and he put me in a hotel, and I just basically helped run the back of a Cage Warriors show. Uh, it was crazy because I think it was the England versus Germany event where you had like they flew over a bunch of German fighters to scrap against English fighters, and uh, it was such a good event. I met so many people, and and I fell asleep in the bar, and everyone was playing human buckaroo with my lifeless, <laughs> like you know, and, and and it was it was kind of mad because I remember like like Ian Dean left himself logged in to like the the reception computer yeah and then like michael bisping before he was in the ufc or maybe just after after ultimate fighter he, he goes on he goes on to the reception computer and sees cage warriors and then he starts like writing as Ian Dean, you know like falling <laughs> in and stuff back, like like back then we didn't have like internet on our phones so like you know, you, you go to a hotel and you, the first thing you want to do is know where the IT room is so you can, you know, you can catch up with what's going on on, on the internet. Like, so the, the cage is forum, pretty mad. The, the amount, I, I still say that the, the, the people I've met on that forum are still the core people from the MMA scene. I still like chat to now on a daily basis. Um, yeah. It's a shame that somewhere it doesn't exist anymore in the archives because there's so many good good memories and threads from the old Cage Warriors forum. Probably things now I, I look back on it and think, oh, I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't say that. I, I hope that doesn't resurface because <laughs> in this in this PC in this PC world, uh, maybe you know, uh, maybe we shouldn't be uh, like like I met Paula on the uh, Cage Warriors forum. Uh, her handle was Woo, for, and I think she changed it to MM Angel, which uh, is very appropriate if you listen yeah. to Paula. Um, quality judges, Paula, and uh, so yeah, she was my best friend. She she introduced me to my girlfriend. So the amount of things that came off that forum was uh, brilliant. So yeah, I, I I like I was starting to go into events all over the country to watch Paul Jenkins fight and and my friend Anthony had a few fights as well and anyone from my gym and we'd go up to Sheffield and we'd go like it was bonkers because back then you could have an event in Sheffield like a cage where I was put an event in Sheffield at the start of the month cage where would put an event at the end of the month and then they'd be like oh you can't do an event the same month as us because you'll affect our ticket sales yeah. and it like and it was like one event in London, one event in Sheffield, three weeks apart, you know. And and now yeah. it's like you don't even. There's so many events going on at the same time, you don't even know about them. But like, I started yeah. writing a lot then, which was stupid because I couldn't spell. Uh, <laughs> I, I still, I still can't spell now. But we have the we have like the spell checkers readily available now. Back then we didn't and. So I'd I'd be right. I made my own like rankings page. Uh, yeah. And my handle was like my handle was Emma Malian, and I just would rank all fighters in every weight class, 
And uh, it was mad because people would accept it as the official rankings, even though he was just some like fat kid in his bedroom. And then I found out like loads of fighters have been really nice to me because if they'd be nice to me, maybe I'll rank them higher. Yeah. And then it, it trigger real big debates as well. Like people would argue over like, um, oh, why is this guy number one? And uh, the, I remember like, I think Dan Hardy, I ranked him at number four and I ranked um, uh guy from Wesley Merch at number three. Yeah. And like Dan, Dan was calling them out, you know, just based on my rankings. Like, I want to fight you because you're ranked higher than me. And I'm like, wow. Like, you know, and, and then you're like guys like Paul Kelly, who from, from Liverpool being like super nice to me. Uh, I didn't even know he knew me because, but like, I was like, you're only being nice to me because I'm the, I'm like the rank master general. <laughs> You know, and 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 after every event, people be pestering me to update the rankings and stuff. And I was like, dude, it's just just a bit of fun, chill. And uh, you know, it caused so many debates. And then obviously, um, I started writing, you know, and I'd go. I only started writing to get into events for free uh, because my ticket spending money on tickets was just like not an option as a skint student. And then. I started going to um, events, covering events. Uh, and then uh, then you get like Howell Teague, who was one of the founders of Fighters Only. He like messaged me. He's like, oh, can I, can I put that in my, in my magazine? It's like, eh, Fighters Only, yeah, crack on. Oh, of course, he'd correct all my spelling and my grammar, and, and, but it's still my name. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ricky Wright covering some random show. So like that was pretty cool. And uh so one of the reasons I, I got into ring announcing because you know Andy Sledge, who doesn't yeah. know Andy Sledge? After every show he would MC and I would cover, he would give me all his cards. And on these cards, you'd have all the details, the name of the fighter, the record, the height they wait and you'd have the method of stop, you know, how the fight ended. You'd have the scores if you were in the distance and these were handy. So I grabbed a bunch of them. I go home and I'd write my article and I wouldn't really need to take too many notes because he had, he just gave me all his cards. <laughs> but once I finished the article and submitted it, I'd had all these like ring, you know, these ring cards lying around the house so I'd just be practicing like oh I could be an announcer you know and a copy says ladies and gentlemen let's hear it for Ronnie man you know and, <laughs> and I'd, I'd be doing it like that and then and then uh, Chris Reese who I was training jiu-jitsu with at the time he was putting on a show and he asked me if I could be the MC of his show. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, sounds fun. You know, I'll give it a bash. I did that show. Um, and then my Thai boxing coach, Lee Power, asked me to do his show. And I was like, yeah, crack, you know, whatever. You know, it's just helping my coaches out, bit of free training. And then, like, a couple of weeks later, Sledge phoned me up. And I kind of, like, shit myself a bit because, like, Ricky, I fucking hear you're announcing now. 
I'm like, ah, oh, mate, he's going to be all like, you're fucking on my turf. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm only, I'm only helping up my coaches. I don't give a fuck, mate. I've got a fucking show on Sunday that needs covering because I can't fucking do it. I was like, can you fucking do it for me? And I was like, uh, I'm just having my heart. My coaches, to be honest, mate, it's like, there's 200 fucking pounds in it for you. I was like, yeah, boy. Yeah, <laughs> big pimping all weekend after that, Rick, eh? Yeah, yeah I, was, I was like, Southampton. I went down to Southampton and it was Sean Toomey's show. And yeah. like, I absolutely love Sean Toomey. I still, you know, talk to him quite regularly now and uh, did his show and then, and it was the first show, like the two shows I did for my respective coaches, uh, they were kind of like spit and soda show where it was like in a ring uh, in like workmen's halls or wherever. This was like in Oceana nightclub, full on sound system, bright lights, ring girls, the lot. And I was yeah. like, yes, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> and uh, from there, like I met Brian Adams there because like, by this time, I was already good friends with Paula. Yeah, and she invited she invited me along. I know I I said oh, I'm I'm going to be emceeing, and she she came along to watch me emcee, and she filmed a bit of it. Um, and uh, she introduced me to Brian Adams, which kind of led me to working with Shock and all. And you know, and it, it really did snowball from there, to be honest. And and I'm I think I'm 13 years into it now, and I. And I haven't looked back. Like, and it seems like things are really happening the last couple of years, especially since quitting my job. But that was like six years ago. I was like, "Wow, I've quit my job six years ago." It's amazing. Yeah. And that's it, mate. For for someone like yourself, who's <clears throat> who, uh, you've quit your job and you've you're you're following your dream. And this is this is the whole point of, without going too much into detail, that's the whole point of this podcast to. to to try and inspire other people and somebody like yourself, Rick, who, who literally picked up a microphone because your, your coach needed somebody to, to do it. And that's after copying, copying the, the man, the myth, the legend sledge and, and walking around the house, pretending to be a Geordie for, for however <laughs> <laughs> a Welsh Geordie is. is <laughs> and, and for you to that, what mate, 13 years later, if, if you're, if you're where you are now, that's, that's, that's brilliant. And you're still only, because you're only mid-30s now, aren't you, Rick? 36, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah so you're which, only mid- for, for, for a ring girl, that's really old. But yeah. for a ring announcer, that's pretty young. I mean, I think Michael Buffer and Bruce Buffer didn't start ring announcing until they were like 37. So yeah. still in it. I'm still a young man in an old man's game at the moment. I was going to say, yeah, you've got, you've got another 50 years to catch up on them too, haven't you? So, especially- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with, um, I mean, we've, we've skipped ahead quite a bit there, Rick, but, but obviously you were training, um, you, you were competing as well. You competed in a few MMA contests. Um, take us back to how that sort of came around. So you've, would you, did you compete before you started ring announcing or was it the other way around? Um, I had like high boxing into clubs before I was ring announcing, mm-hmm. and to me, to me, the tie boxing ring and the uh, into clubs were real fights. There yeah. were no decisions, sort of thing. But you know, you you train hard and you fight someone you don't know who's who's training hard, and 
And a lot of the times, like I've seen some some of the brute, most brutal knockouts I've ever seen. I've been at like Thai boxing the clubs. And I'm like, and they're the ones that my mother used to come and watch as well. So like, <laughs> but I remember my first Thai boxing into club, I went up to uh, Birmingham and the this like beefy Italian block and his coach walked over to me and he's like, are you Ricky? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you're my opponent. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And he was like, yeah, let's have a good fight. Good luck tonight. And and and, and I'll see you in the ring. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a drink after. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what a nice guy. What a nice guy. So I go into the ring like, and I, like, I think I had like a standing eight count in the first round and a standing eight count in the second round. I didn't realize it was a real fight until like round three where my coach was like, and I was looking at my coach like, what's happening? And he's like, the coach was like, fucking hit him, hit him back. And I was like, yeah, that would that would help. And yeah, the, the, general, back the like, general gist of it, Rick, is for two people to exchange yeah. blows. Yeah. <laughs> but I came back to win win oh, the, wow. the third round. Win the third round. I mean, I, I you know, there's no decision. So it technically is a draw. But like, I knew I got battered in the first two rounds and, and did well in the last round. And I kind of thought like he beat me psychologically. So like he came over to me and he was like, because he was so nice. I was like, I can't fight him. So my next tie box in the club, I fought a guy and this fight's still on uh, YouTube to, to watch. And um, I uh, did the same. Hi, yeah. Oh, I'm Ricky. Oh, don't hit me too hard, will you? <laughs> we'll have a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I acted really super shy and super nervous. When that bell went, I, I turned into a nasty killer. Like yeah. I probably threw him off mentally because you know, and and that was the approach in it. And all my like, I had four tie boxing into clubs, and that was the approach I did in all my fights. And then uh, when I had an MMA fight, and the only reason I had an MMA fight as well is because like I was a gobby so and so on the old Cage Warriors forum, <laughs> and I think it was like. Aaron Wilkinson from the Wolf Slayer gym. Like I had an opinion about something, but he said to me, what do you know? You've never fought. So I was like, all right, then I'll have a fight. Screw yeah. it. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I like, I trained with, uh, at Tulare combat, which is now show MMA. So with Richard Shaw, father of Jack Shaw, I also trained at Chris Reese Academy for, jiu-jitsu so like home of like brett johns and that and then i was also like training with lewis long in the days lewis me just we would just train anyway in the days and basically i thought if i train at the three best gyms in wales then i won't have to fight anybody from the three best gyms in wales so chances are i'll get (laughs) i won't get uh get battered so like that was that was what i did and then i had a, a fight uh, against Gavin Thomas, who was about a foot taller than me, and and uh, when I walked through the venue, he's the first person I saw, and I was like, oh, "Here we go!" Ah, oh, yeah, you, Gavin. Yeah. Oh, don't hit me too hard. Oh, yeah. We'll have a good, we'll have a drink after, is it? Yeah. yeah. You know, and then I mean, and then and that fight resulted in a draw. 
I mean, yeah. every every time I watch it back, I I I think, oh, I definitely won that. No, and I watch it again. No, it, a draw was fair, and I was like, how oh, the hell didn't the judges give it to him? He smashed me <laughs> every every time I watch it. I get different feelings about it and I can't really bring myself to watch it because I, I get this nervous feeling in my belly. Yeah. And uh, that was a draw. And, and then my second MMA fight, I was out watching the rugby club, uh, watching the rugby, what I think Wales were playing. And uh, yeah, this was tw- 2012. So it was a uh, Wales won the grand slam that year. And I was out in Pont D and I was on the, the dance floor shuffling backwards and I bump into Sam and I turn around and he turns around. I'm like, oh, you're my opponent for, I'm fighting you in like 12 weeks time. And he's like, oh, you're Ricky. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, man, this is mad, isn't it? He's like, yeah. And I was like, I introduced myself. We we had a few face-off pictures and I, you know, and, and basically what he was doing, he was having his last night out before he settles down to 12 weeks of hard training. And that was the same me as me. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't hit me too hard, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, as soon as I turned his back, I was like, I, in 12 weeks time, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, that, that was a good fight as well. I won the fight, but it was so close um, again. Uh, I think... I did win that fight, but it was so close. I think it was a majority um, decision in my favor. Uh, so, you know, and during that fight, it was in a nightclub and it was only standing available. And my girlfriend and my mother were like a foot or two foot away from the cage wall. And I was on top of my opponent and I was punching downwards. And uh, I could, I looked up, I could see them, and they were both crying their eyes out. And yeah. I was like, "Yeah, they were bawling." And I was like, "Why are you crying? I'm, I'm winning, I'm winning." And they were like, "Rick, you, you got your win now. You've won your fight. You got your win. Don't ever put us through that again, ever, will you?" <laughs> I was like, "I was like, ah, oh, I don't know, do I?" And then, like the same week after my fight, my girlfriend became really proactive in the kitchen and became a really good chef as yeah. if she had an ulterior motive to fatten me up so I never yeah. make weight again. <laughs> yeah. And lo and behold, I've never been able to get anywhere near fighting weight again, even though I have been sporadic with training. I've, I've, you know, I have trained and then I haven't. And, you know, it's uh it's kind of hard to work as an MC on the weekends and then like train in the week in terms of like, I remember like this one lad I used to train with Dan Clark, he great guy, but like if he knew I had a, a big show on the weekend and we were sparring, he would <laughs> go head hunting and he'd want to, he'd want to give me a black eye. So he could watch it on TV and say, I give him a black eye. Yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe I, <laughs> maybe I got to knock this training on the head, like, you know, as, 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 as often as it was, you know, so at least the stand up stuff anyway, but that's, uh, that's pretty much the, the entire history of my fights 
my combat experience. That's that's brilliant though, because it's only true fans that would really want to give you a black eye so they can then take the piss out of you years later. So Oh then... <laughs> man, yeah. Every time exactly. he'd, he'd just turn up and show you that so show people that picture, like on your when when you and Bex move further forward in your relationship eventually one day if uh and and uh and he's like yeah on the on, the, on that faithful day he's like i did this look at this that was me that was he'll go around telling everyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that's just it that's why like i mean if i if i had a friend who was getting married i mean i mean like i might give him a few licks before he gets married to see so he shows up with black eyes on his wedding day you know <laughs> <laughs> it's a kind it's a, it's a kind of prick I am to be honest yeah. <laughs> uh, no so I didn't disagree with you then Rick so uh, it's <laughs> bastard Williams that bastard Williams yeah <laughs> so obviously the, the the end of the the uh, the unbeaten end of Ricky Wright's MMA career as well. Obviously, retired, undefeated. So, um, best way to go out That's on right. top. Yeah, best way to do yeah, it. Yep. Um, so, obviously, moving forward with your with your MC career, uh, then Rick. Obviously, you, you, we're talking like 2012, 2013 sort of time. You're starting to starting to take off a little bit more. Obviously, doing a few more shows. Still working full time or, or working in a job as well at the time. So how did it start? Like, how do you feel or when do you feel that the turning point was for you regarding starting to move forward and realizing this could be a career for you? Um, I always thought like the more I work, the more money, well, it makes sense. The more I work, the more money I get, the less I have to do my other job. And in 2013, I, I applied for my, my uh, boxing master ceremonies license, yeah. which allows me to MC pro boxing contests. And um, the thing with that is, uh, the only reason I wanted to do it is because I thought, well, I can work more if I do boxing, I do MMA, I get more work. And it's a good decision, really. I, I, but I weren't a fan of boxing. I know I watched it as a kid, but I, I, I was MMA through and through. Like, I yeah. missed the entire... Joe Calzaghi era, which is probably the one of the greatest eras in Welsh boxing, and I kind of missed it all because I was like neck deep in MMA, and um, so I started watching boxing and, and getting into it just to. So I, I didn't want to start doing a new sport and not really know anything about it, and just be, you know I think it's important if you're going to do something to embrace every aspect of it, you know. I got into it. I got into boxing, and I, I, I'm a massive fan of boxing now, and and quite well known in the Welsh and wider UK boxing scene as well, which is pretty cool because you, you know, there's like people I grew up watching fight, and like people like uh, I said, now Barry McGuigan, like he he retired before I I was even born, I think, but like. You know, like when he like tweets me and stuff, it's it's kind of mad. Uh, yeah. You know, like when I worked with him, he was like sort of like a, a, a pundit when when I was growing up watching, and then oh, I'm working directly for him and stuff, and Steve Robinson and bonkers. But like, yeah, boxing, and uh, I was doing a lot of boxing, and and sometimes boxing would take over MMA, and I feel like I'm further along in boxing, and then. 
then all of a sudden I'd feel like I'm further along with MMA and it just snowballed and I was working every weekend as, as an MC but then I was still working a full-time job and it weren't like a normal full-time job I was like a carer looking after adults with learning difficulties and it's a good job that I was good at in a sense that I am um, with people with disabilities, they kind of relate to me because, like, I don't know, you know, I'm I'm on the wavelength, you know, and without sounding, without sounding like making me sound dumb or anything, but like they, I got them and they got me, so that was why I was good at my job, but uh, I was crap at other parts of the job, like paperwork and cleaning and stuff like that, and. But as long I was always there for number one, always looking out for the boys who I was employed to look after. But my boss would give me horrible shifts. Say I had like a show on a Saturday night, uh, a, a, a boxing and MMA show. She put me in to like do a, a 24-hour shift on a Friday night and a Sunday night. So I'd do 20, start free, on Saturday, Friday, finish at three on Saturday, MC a show, back in the next day at three, finish at Monday, <laughs> the next day at three. And it was like, I was squeezed, you know, and and like, I'd, I'd give her my shows and she'd work my shifts around my shows. So every year I thought, I need to get out of this, but I kind of can't leave straight away. So every year I would drop my hours, so I'd be on 30 hours, then I'd be on 20 15 10 i was like on a five-hour contract and then my rota would come to and she still like give me like 40 hours i was like oh, I can yeah and i was like and it was ridiculous like and and then so i was just like getting really lazy with my job as i said i was always looking out for the the lads i looked after made sure they had their tablets and they were clean and fed and watered and, and had a good standard of living but then I wasn't doing things like paperwork and like a lot of the rubbishy stuff that, you know, and I got a call up the office one day and she's like, Rick, can you come to the office? It's like, I'm in trouble. She's like, can you come up to the office? I was like, that means, yeah. I tell you what, how about I don't come up to the office. I go into work tonight. Call this my last shift. I've got two weeks of annual leave. Call out my notice. And that's it. I'm, I'm out. So it was no like parade or like, I didn't have any, like I worked there for like 11 years. I didn't have any like, uh, by goodbye, celebratory drinks or anything. It was just, yeah, like, no leaving do. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was just like, went in, did my last shift left. And that was it. And I was like, wow. And this was like November, uh, 2015, like, Round about the same, I did the first IMF European Championships and I was like, yikes. Because the plan was to, I think the plan was to quit round about March time after that. Uh, that was like in my head. I had that in my head. I never made it to March. And it was a bit dumb quitting my job before Christmas because... Uh, I didn't realize I was how like tight January was going to be without any MC work. 
Uh, I was going to say, quitting, quitting at Christmas is wonderful because you have that nice build-up to Christmas where every show, or there's loads of shows on, on, on like up until maybe two or four, like a week before Christmas or something like that. And then pretty much from the last, the last week before Christmas to maybe the first week of February, everything's dead. Everything's dead. Oh, no, no one wants to fight. And, and maybe even like the second or third week of February before you start picking up proper shows yeah. again. Yeah, like like February is quite is quite thin for work as an MC. So it's, it's a really dumb thing to do, but I don't regret it. Um, like I still did a private uh, care contract. So when I worked like three hours a week for like one of my mother's friends, uh, kids, mm. take it, take him out and stuff. And I take him to cost like uh, to, to Costa. And I, I'd always take him to this place because the woman behind the tail, she's like, oh, my, my, my brother's autistic. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, I tell you what. And she, and, and she just give us loads of like, instead of checking out the, the food, she would just give us loads of like sandwiches and toasties and paninis and everything. Like just cause she endeared herself to one of the guys I was looking after and yeah. she gave us all these things. And like, we, I'd come home and i put them straight in the freezer and that's what basically me and Becky lived on for like most of January. <laughs> like we were so skinned because I quit my job that we were living on like out of date frozen Costa food that I had to warm up. <laughs> and every week I'd go and do this shift uh, for my mother's friend's son, three hours and go to Costa just as it was about to close, have a cup of tea and and just take on loads of free cost of food you know that, that. <laughs> and i was like hmm maybe i should get another job but like as it happens february came about uh then march always busy in march it'd pick up and uh yeah i was like and i quit in 2015 it's 2022 now and apart from a brief spell during the pandemic where i had to go back to work um no no regrets at all like uh, the best thing I ever did like people say like what do you do between monday and thursday when you haven't got work i'm like that's my weekend my weekend starts friday finishes on sunday monday to t- monday to thursday is my weekend and i just do a hell i want mainly go for walks and I should do a lot more really. I got all this, I'm blessed with all this free time, but I, I got like my little projects and stuff that I, like I, you know, I, I'm, I do a lot of work with MMA Cymru, uh, the yeah. MMAF Federation for Wales and just thing, just like little mini projects that keep me busy, like good fun stuff. And that's it. And it gets you like your, We'll always see on on social media that you're out there going out and see you with James, or we see you with uh, with um, with Chris. You two doing your Cobra Kai impressions down at the down at the the, the river or whatever it may be, or the lakes. And it's yeah, I, I know it's not all glamorous for you, Rick, but it's you seem like you're having you're making the most at times of your downtime as well. Always out doing something, getting up to some sort of mischief. Yeah, I mean. That's it. You only get one life, and and I've kind of like manufactured a, a a life for myself that I really like. Like 
you know, the, you know, you all, you hear all the old sayings: if if you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. I absolutely love ring announcing. Um, I love fights in general. I love the people you meet and everything. And I I wouldn't change it for the world. And and whereas like now with through IMath and 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 other things where I've got to MC internationally for pro boxing as well now, I I I, I like. I get to see the world so often and I absolutely love traveling. I, I During the pandemic, all I did was watch like travel vlogs. So like in my head, I've already been to Singapore because I've watched so many travel vlogs on Singapore, but I've never been to Singapore. But one day, <laughs> one day I'll go to Singapore, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, when Bruce and, retires, eventually when Bruce retires and they call, and they call Ricky right up to, uh, to, do, to do everything outside of North America. Hey, that's 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 the dream. Well, Bruce, Bruce, he's a, he's my guy, Bruce. I love love Bruce. Uh, he's cool. I I sent him a message on WhatsApp the other day. I was like, Bruce, yeah, your Instagram's been hacked. He's like, oh, thanks, Rick. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, you know that uh, that gif uh, from In Between Us when it's like Simon yeah. because friends. <laughs> friends yeah that 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 was me with, with bruce and over <laughs> mc friends yeah <laughs> you say you, you say like mc friends it's, it's mad because i'm in like a few communities with mcs and it's mad how like i probably know about a hundred ring announcers from all over the world now who who are kindred spirits who a lot of them will add me just because i'm the same i do the same job as them and and it's mad how many MCs are, are like I'm really close to as yeah. as friends, you know. We they cover I cover them, they cover me, and like they ask me for advice, I ask them for advice. Oh, it's it's cool, man. It's cool. And and that happens like you you've got that that common you're all going on that 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 common journey. You you've all got you're all doing a similar thing or, or the same thing, depending on what sports you're doing. And it's like depends. the Highlander. It's like the Highlander <laughs> where like you get like the good ones and the bad ones. And, and you all want the same thing. Eventually you all want to be the best ring announcer in the world. And then, you know, sometimes you like, you like the Highlander and you meet like your Sean Connery who teaches you how to do stuff. And, and yeah. you like ride horseback together, flailing swords in the air. Then you meet like, some other arseholes who are like the Kurgan who are trying to decapitate you and and and, and steal your powers, you know? And yeah. it, it's just, a, it's, a, it's exact, the world of ring announcing is exactly like the Highlander one. And I, I wouldn't have anything said differently. <laughs> so you're trying to tell me that you and Kyle are going to ride along horseback together. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that what it is? If, if, if he'll well, allow you that, he's on one of, one of his steeds. Yeah. So. Well, well, Kyle... When it comes to Kyle, I'm definitely one of the people he refers to as a peasant. And that, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> like, I, I met Kyle. Kyle, for anyone who doesn't, uh, who's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about, it's uh, Kyle Greaves. He's a, a ring announcer based, like somewhere on the M4 corridor. He, uh, he, lives, like, he lives not far from me. He's like Guildford sort of way. Yeah. Like, me and him are on different sides of the political spectrum. We should be sworn enemies, but the guy makes me laugh every fucking day. So, you know, <laughs> I can't, I can't, dis, I can't dislike him. 
even though he's like a far right Nazi and I'm like a far left <laughs> communist. <laughs> a far right Nazi. He's not actually a Nazi. If, if disclaimer, he's not actually a Nazi. Yeah. He may dress like one, but uh, he's, he's not, <laughs> not actually a Nazi. So yeah, <laughs> but no. But it's, it's it's true though. You you get you get to meet some people who you. Who, who you do you have so much in common with and you have such shared experiences with uh, that that you you're drawn to them and the the, the weird thing is 99% of the time you're the only MC at that event so you never yeah. actually get to work with these people I know it's different like at IMF you, you might have two people at IMF because there's so many cages to do um and on some boxing shows they have a, they'll have an MC for the undercard and an MC for the main card um, but it's, it's, it's very, it, it's uncommon for there to be two MCs on a show. So there is, yeah. you, you're almost fighting each other, not fighting each other for work, but there's a finite number of shows that you can MC. So therefore not everybody's going to get a job every, every, like on every show, but for you guys to have that shared experience. And as long as you're not, as long as people aren't trying to nick your work, you can get on with them like House on Fire because you're all doing the same thing. I always find that like if you make friends with someone, chances are they're going to get double booked and they trust you and to pass on work to you than if you just go out to get their work. Uh, one of my mentors and one of my best friends and one of my favourite people in the world and one of the only people I ever answer my phone to because like I'm... I'm of a younger generation, and if you can say it by text, you send it. Please send it by text. You know, but Craig, uh, Craig, Stephen, he's a Scottish ring announcer. He's done a lot of the biggest fights over the last ten years uh, for like Matchroom, Frank Warren, Barry McGuigan, and uh, he did Bellator as well. A few Bellator events last summer in Rome, not in Milan and uh, Paris. And I met Craig, it uh, must be about nine years ago, maybe by now. I, I basically went on a boxing forum, looked who the top boxing ring announcers was, just to ask him advice. And I messaged, sent individual messages to three of them, but only, only Craig got back to me. And he's like, uh, give me a number, I'll give you a ring. And he rung me. And he just dropped so many knowledge bombs on ring announcing. And back to the Highlander. If I was the Highlander, if I was the the main character in that movie, he'd be my Sean Connery. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he he taught me so much, uh, made me re- rethink ring announcing. And it just so happens, after I met Craig, that's when I started getting TV work because... He wouldn't put me down about how I sounded. He'd say, try this instead. See how you feel. And I would, oh, that's good. And he'd say, why would why'd you say this particular word in this order? And I, I don't know, some, I saw someone else do and I just copied him. Yeah, but take that word away and it'd be smoother. You don't need to like add so many, much... Uh, Chunk to any, he's kind of like a Yoda figure where he, he kind of like made me see 
ring announcing like as a matrix sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I, I owe him, he's the reason why I've got to the level I am now. And and Craig's great. Like he 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 phones me he phone me today, he phone me tomorrow about something. We talk for hours like uh every time he rings me and my girlfriend back, he's like, Oh, who's your phone? You know, Craig, your boyfriend is it, you know, and it's uh <laughs> Uh, like my first time I ever f- caught a, f- a plane to a gig, he was doing a Carl Frampton world title fight in Belfast, and he had a small show in Scotland that needed covering. And he was like, I'll do that, I'll fly you up to Scotland, you can cover my show. And that's the first time I met him because he arrived home in Scotland a lot earlier than I had to fly back to Wales. So we spent the day together, and great guy. More guy, and in my eyes, he's like the best ring announcer in the world, in my opinion, based on like like how, what he's taught me and how good he is as well. You know, he, he he's he's class, like he's class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then like other other mentors, you got like obviously Bruce Buffett. I, I say he's like a mentor. I mean, the the one advice that he gave me that he always stuck stuck out he's like hey what's your name kid like uh, Ricky Wright well when I first started out I people say you, you're going to be the next Michael Buffer I said I'm not going to be the next Michael Buffer I'm going to be the first Bruce Buffer you shouldn't be you shouldn't want to become the f- next Bruce Buffer you should want to become the first Ricky Wright and I was like oh yes and that's why like even though Bruce is like an idol of mine I am nothing like him in style uh, yeah. and presence, you know. I, I and I find a lot of people, a lot of ring announcers coming up, especially from an MMA like scene standpoint, they aim to be like Bruce. They want to do the fighting, and they want to go up to the fighters and get all intense. And it, and I think unless Bruce does it, it doesn't really work. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you got to be a certain type of person. You got to find your own style, and and the only way, from what I've seen when I when I look at ring announcers, I'm, I'm I'm around not not a huge amount of different ring announcers now. There's 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 a core sort there's a core team that I seem to work on the same shows with. You're very much one of the people that I work with with a lot, and you can definitely tell when somebody's trying to be something they're not, they they don't move forward as much as people who just find their own style and, and, and are comfortable in their own style as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you, you're right. I mean, like, I don't really, like, think I sound like anybody else. That said, oh, when I did a show in Dubai late last year um, Badu Jack who's a two weight world champion and his team yeah. they were in the back and they were like whoa did they fly Jimmy Lennon Jr. over <laughs> and, and like, then we saw you and was like wow <laughs> like wow you sound so much like Jimmy like you and I'm like I took it as a compliment uh, you know I, I, I don't think I'm much like Jimmy Lennon Jr. but I suppose I kind of got that like high pitch voice where it's like a lot of other guys are growlier and got lower. Like I'm, 
Jimmy's like, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I kind of get where they came from. But then, like, none of my template and the words I say are anything similar to, to Jimmy Lennon Jr., you know. But he's a, he's a good guy, like old, old Jimmy. Got to uh, do an undercard with him once in the O2 Arena. That was pretty cool. Jimmy. Have you noticed? Have you noticed anybody that you've seen trying to copy any of your style, Rick? I know, like you, you're you're a big. I, I see you as a big name in, in in MMA and combat sports because I work with you so much and I've been around with you like eight years or whatever it is. We've we've been working on the same similar shows most of the time. Have you have you found that anybody? Have you come across anyone that that you think tries to copy your style a bit? Um, not really. Uh, I'm not asking you to name names. It's just this. No, yeah, I, I, yeah I, that I shit bag. I, he's copied everything I say. Yeah, he's <laughs> like I don't think people try and I. I don't think other like MCs copy me. I think they they they, they try and copy someone like bigger, you know. But like, like it's a thing with MCs. Like, oh, when you tell someone you're a ring announcer, they're like, oh, what, what's your catchphrase? And that's because Michael Buffer has a catchphrase, which is let's get ready to, I wouldn't finish it because obviously copyright and, you yeah, know. Yeah, we'll get slung off the air, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm good to you like that. Uh, and, and a catchphrase is something that comes up a lot. And I'm like, well, I have thought about catchphrases over the years and I have tried them out, but every time I try them out, I'm like, yeah, that sounds all right. And then um, I hear someone say something similar and I'm like, I cringe. I'm like, oh, I'm never saying that again. Like I, I used to say like, like wherever you're down on the ground or up in the stands, stomp your feet and clap your hands. I'm your <laughs> MC, Ricky Wright, and you are here to <laughs> see a fight. Right, you that's know, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just corny like and, and I saw another MC say something very similar to that and I was like cringe yeah and and I, I, I find like if you want to get a pop from the crowd just, just ask them to make some noise just keep it simple and and if you if you name the place where they where you're at like uh they're gonna they're gonna respond to it so i i just keep it simple like your call london make some noise and and that's all you need and you get like so many people and and they live by the catchphrase and they they uh, trademark their catchphrases and stuff and i'm like ah oh, grow up like so many people do it like like uh, do you remember brett hollywood who used to do cage ridge back yeah. in the day he he like catchphrased it's go time and i think like go daddy the internet provider sort of like had that catchphrase too and it was like a, a legal dispute over it oh wow but, it's, it's, but like it's like it's a crap catchphrase it's like because jimmy lennon jr used it's showtime and that was mainly because he was on uh, showtime boxing it's showtime and then brett was like it's go time and then he would call it the phrase that pays i was like grow up like just because like and bruce buffer his catchphrase is it's time it's short and sweet 
so like Brett Hollywood just rips off Jimmy Lennon Jr. and my Bruce Buffer and call and and, and is just like I don't think words in the English dictionary should be should be uh, able to be catchphrase. I think is super dumb. Like like you need, God, you, need like, a, like, you need a Welsh catchphrase, Rick, just to just to pull it back home and let everybody know that you're representing. Need need something in Welsh, and that'll be your go time. Oh man, like I remember, like uh, my my friend's girlfriend. She once said, "Like, oh, you're the star of Cage and Screen." I was like, "Oh, I love that." <laughs> and uh, one of my emails is still Cage and Screen right now. Uh, and I used to call myself like the star of Cage and Screen. My website, when I had a website, would be like, "Welcome to the page of the star of Cage and Screen, Ricky Wright." You know? <laughs> but then. Again, it's just cringy and and uh, ah, you know, the stuff like that it makes me cringe now. And I don't know where this because I'm like modest or I'm pretending to be modest because we all know I'm I'm like a big massive swellhead and uh, who loves myself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just little little things like that. So when people copy if people copy me, I'd, I'd say I'm flattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's look, but you've you've got a unique style. You've got a unique sound. That, that as, far, as far as I'm concerned, you've got a unique sound, and it works. Rick, anybody that I speak to now, there's there's one or two MCs that I turn up and I speak to that I see, and I'm I'm genuinely excited to see them. And, and you're definitely one of them, Rick, because it's it's, it's uh, yeah, and uh, it, it's <laughs> just <laughs> because you you we know that whenever you turn up, that it's, number one, you're a good laugh, and number two, it's going to be, everything's going to be done properly. Everything's going to be done on time. Everything's going gonna, is, is gonna to come through. And, and it comes down to experience. You've been doing it long enough now, and because it is your full-time profession as well, you, you can't, you're not just playing in it. You're not doing this and you're trying to do something else because this is this is your side hustle or anything like that. You've you've got to be good at it because this is how you earn your bread and butter. This is how you earn your earn your, earn your living now. Yeah, I find it mad as well when people compliment me on things like, "Oh, you're so prepared," and. Oh, I like how you speak to the fighters and write down their names phonetically so you don't get their names wrong. And, and I like how you go into the back and get the stats or all their records. And I'm like, uh, don't you all do that? Don't they all do that? Like, <laughs> the reason I uh, do that is because Sledge did that. And and Sledge, uh, he was very on it with getting it people's stats and, and his template and I think with Sledge I mean he he when he would write his cards he would he would write the blue color blue corner in a blue pen the red corner in a red pen and all the neutral stuff in a black pen so like and I would do that too my first like first two years I would do that and then I'd panic when the red pen would run out of ink yeah. And now I'm just now I'm just not bothered. I just use a, a black pen or a blue pen for for it all, like you know. But like, so I kind of learned off Sledge that, like, that's my school of thought where he would 
and I just thought that was just the standard. When you go to shows and and you 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 see an MC with a clipboard and they're reading literally off the fight card the promoter printed out. So you go like top to bottom, and there's no like it's just red <coughs> with the name, and there's no like stats or anything. I think that's so lazy. Like uh, on the weekend, me and you were doing Jack Mason's show, uh, Cage Warriors Academy Southeast, and there were thirty-eight fights on that card. Yes. Uh, so obviously, I wouldn't have had enough time to speak to all the fighters and get like the, the finer details. But like Jack basically gave me in the fight card, gave me the stats and everything. And I made sure I wrote everything down individually. So I, you know, I, I just had a card in my hand. I didn't have a, a, a folded up piece of paper, any name that I didn't feel comfortable reading out. I'd go and speak to them in the back before they made their walk uh, and, and just things like that. And these are things I thought everyone does, but it, it seems like there are a lot of lazy ring announcers out there who, who don't bother and, and uh, if they want to get to the next level or at least get to the level where I'm at, then this is the steps they're going to take. Uh, another step I've taken, and I think a lot of other ring announcers haven't, is um, I've been on Mark Goddard's course twice. Yeah. Now, like, if you're a ring announcer and you're reading out scores, then you must first understand the scores uh how many ring announcers do you know reads out scores uh regularly not, yeah yeah not not lots let's put it that way that they'll just they'll just read out who the winner or the loser is and i always thought that was down to the to the promoter whether they wanted it or not um not necessarily you wanting to do it nice a lot of announcers they they, they can't read out scores and and, and and some people say to me, why you're reading out scores on like like small amateur shows in, in like the arse end of Flanelli. And I'm like, well, if I can't read out the scores correctly on uh, a small show in front of like 200 people, if I'm doing it in, in like a 20,000 seater arena in Kazakhstan, I'm not going to be to do it there either. Like, like yeah. So, like, that's why I find this, no matter what level you're at, you, you try and read out the scores. And on the weekend, again, we had two, due to uh, the 10, eight rounds based on uh, fouls and stuff, there were two judges that went, there were two decisions that went majority draws. Yeah. Uh, which are notoriously hard to announce correctly, like, because yeah. you, you, you say one fighter is the winner, and then you say, but he's not because the other two judges said it was a draw. And you build up one fighter, then you dash his hopes. Do you know what I mean? It's- <laughs> when you said that to me, when you was about to announce it, you went, I love announcing majority draws. I was like, why is that? He goes, you watch. And you just went in there. And, <laughs> and the red corner, 29, 28 or whatever, it is, or 29, 27. And you could see that person all getting, getting all giddy in there. But the other two scored it 28-28, so it's a majority draw. And then you just <laughs> yeah, could, could see that little bit inside of you, Rick, just jumping for joy. <laughs> it's like 
it's like uh, I remember the first time I did like a, a Commonwealth title in boxing and a, and a, and an English title, and it was back to back, and it was the first time in a pro show in a pro boxing where I had like because uh, ju- you only get judges in pro boxing on like title fights, and I was like pantsing myself. Oh, I hope this doesn't. I hope it's not close. I hope it's not close because if it goes to a split decision. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And then it was a guy called Andy Clark, who was a boxing commentator. And he said, oh, man, you should live for these moments. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And as it happens, both went to a split decision uh, in close fights in the York Hall, sold out. And I nailed them both. And it's the same, like, if you don't practice for every eventual outcome of a, of a score, the right way to build it up and the right way to gently let him down. Like I love, I love a, I love a split draw as well, which because <laughs> you say fighter A, fighter B, and then judge number three, 28, 28, this is a split draw. It's like build them up and tear them down. <laughs> <laughs> and the, but like, again, uh, so many MCs focus on the introduction uh, building up the fight, the building up the stats, losing your absolute shit for the fighter, but nobody really cares. Right? What people don't realize, but what ring announcers don't realize, unless they've listened to me on podcasts, because I've said this loads of times, nobody cares about the ring announcer. Nobody gives a flying fuck. Like, right? Did you watch UFC on the weekend? Uh, I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, 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 I know what you're about to say. Yeah. Did you watch it the next morning or did you stay up? Uh, I, I'll always watch it the next morning. I never, whenever I watch it, I always watch it the next morning. I don't stay up. Do you fast forward past the ring announcer? I fast forward past fucking everything, Rick. I don't watch any build up for the fight. I don't watch it. I fast forward straight until the referee is saying go and then I'm off. And after time, hey. I don't even wait for the result. I'll fast forward through the result if it's gone to the distance. And I'll actually, I'll listen to the scores, but I'm not fussed about. Bruce, I love you, mate. And, and But it's, I won't bother listening to it. I'll listen to the score and then it's done. Yeah, see you later. No. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody gives a flying <laughs> fuck about what the ring announcer has to say before the fight. Like if you if you even if you're watching an event live, uh, and there's a oh is the fight started yet? No, nah, it's just a ring announcer. All right, I've got I can make a quick cut back and pop out for a cigarette. Uh, you can do a number of things before the fight actually starts. You come back and you sit your ass down when the referee says go because nobody gives a flying like when you're at an event. Uh, it's different. Uh, you know the. Ring announcer can really hype up a show, but nobody gives a fuck. And that's what ring announcers got to realize. The only time anyone gives a crap what a ring announcer has to say is when it's a close decision, when, yeah. it's a, when you don't know who's won. And then every eye is on you. When the people who, who record UFC the night before to watch it the next day, even they watch you. Yeah. You know, like, so like if a fight gets stopped, you know, the guy's won by KO. So you don't even, you can fast forward to the next fight. But when is this decision? 
that's the only chance you really get to shine. Your only chance to shine. So when so many MCs concentrate on the build-up and the intro, but neglect learning the scores and the rules and 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 how to build up a, a decision and and not give away the winner until the very last moment. That's that's your chance to shine, and that's what separates the fucking men from the boys in ring announcing. And when ring announcers realize that, you know, it's like, oh yeah, oh, I I give them the best build up ever, but then it goes to a really close decision. And then you say something like, and it's a split decision. And then you go, uh, judge number one scores, judges scored about 29, 28 blue, 29, 28 blue and 29, 28 red for your winner yeah. by split decision. Cause you've already given away the winner. Yeah. You know, yeah, before yeah. they know the blue corners are already celebrating before you, you know, and I've seen, announcers do that live on TV where they've given away the winner before finishing talking. So yeah, that's just a bit. But yeah, until ring announcers start like going to Mark's courses, learning the rules, learning how a scorecard looks, they, you know, they, they'll always fall behind in my opinion. Mate, the, uh, the, the only time I listen to a ring announcer now at the start of about is when I'm working on a show and the promoter forgets to tell us who's the red and who's the blue corner. And I've got to write my yeah. scorecard out. So I'll be sitting there. And if I haven't managed to speak to you or someone else, I'm like, shit, who's red and who like, we'll, we'll be talking amongst each other. Who's red and who's blue. Nobody knows until the first person walks down the, the ramp. And then we're like, Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a person or the inevitable free fights in, we get the promoter coming out and saying, this fight is moving from here to here. And then I'm like, oh, God damn it. And, and you, you've, you've got like 25 fights on the card and, and they're moving somewhere up the card and you, you, have, to, you have to then listen yeah. to it just to make sure that you haven't mixed up your, your, your scorecards as well. And um, yeah, it's that, it's that little attention to detail. But, um, but, but yeah, again, I do like... Again, in that situation, when you have a ring announcer shouting like all the stats and the name at the start and you can't hear what he's saying. Like, what is the point? Like building up the hype as an MC is a, is an easy thing to do. And it's a fun thing to do. And to feel the crowd behind you on every word is such a good feeling. Yeah. But if the judges and the crowd can't hear what you're saying, then like, what's the point? Like, like you are there, a ring announcer there is there purposely to deliver information to those who want to know it. So when you go to someone going, and in the red corner, in record two wins for West, ah, ah, ah. and you're like, what the fuck do you say? Whereas, like, I always try and be as clear as possible. So whoever needs to know, knows. No. Yeah. You like again, no one really cares, uh, really, as I said earlier. But you are, will get the anoraks in in the room who, who want to know the official weight and who, who want to know how tall a fighter is. And you will get judges who who want you to be more clear so they know which fight that is which. You know, so like uh, 
I came up with an analogy the other day. Uh, like, it's like, do you like steak, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you like your steak with? Describe how you like your steak. Your condiments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for me, I, I'm, I'm quite a simple man. I like my steak with a bit of salt and pepper, and I really like it with just some broccoli. Just a bit of broccoli. Steak and broccoli is, is beautiful for me. That's, that's quite boring, really. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, I, I, can, I can use it. I can use it, yeah? Yeah. Like, the, fight, the fighters are the steak. The yeah. ring announcer is the salt, pepper, and broccoli, yeah? You can't eat salt and pepper and broccoli on his own, but you can eat a steak on his own. Yeah. Like I always use, I always use peppercorn sauce. You can't drink a jug of peppercorn sauce. You can eat a steak by itself. But like, if you put the peppercorn sauce over the steak, it makes, in my opinion, anyway, makes the steak taste yeah. better. And, it's, and that's what we are. We are, we're there to complement the fighters. Actually, I looked Rick, at my before Facebook you before memory. you move away from the uh, peppercorn sauce analogy, we were on a stag do once, and we got the stag on in the steak restaurant to snort the peppercorn sauce. All right, so that's <laughs> 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 so it was a peppercorn sauce and like a uh, some sort of mustard, some like wasabi mustard. Yeah, we was in Thailand on a stag do, and that was yeah, poor sod. He ended up. Uh, yeah, snorting peppercorn sauce and wasabi mustard. So yeah, there goes there goes your analogy, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I I looked on my Facebook memories today, and about eight years ago, uh, I posted something which is quite coincidental, considering we're doing this podcast today, where I wrote like, nobody ever buys a ticket to see the ring announcer. Most ring announcers don't realize this. Yeah. And I, I, I wrote that like eight years ago. And that's what a lot of ring announcers have to realize. Like, okay, like I would buy a, a ticket to see Bruce Buffer MC because I love the guy. And, and I, I bet he does have like people who genuinely go to, to see a UFC because his him and obviously Michael Buffer when there's the boxing, you know if Michael Buffer is doing the boxing, it's gonna be a big fight wherever. But yeah, I I I know that no one there, no one really gives a crap um uh, most of the time about what we got to say and 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 doesn't make my job any less important. Um like I, I do think a good a good ring announcer can make a show or break a show in many ways and uh, it's weird when a ring announcer is on TV uh, they, they, like a referee they will get slagged off like so I see so many ring announcers getting a boost and like in 2021 I did the boxer show on BT Sport and I did a great job flawless job and I looked on Twitter to see if I had any boosts. I didn't have any. And I didn't have any compliments either. Nobody, I was anonymous. <laughs> like I thought, and I was like, oh, and uh, I was like, well, did anyone actually watch the show? Did it just go under the radar? But like Steve Bunce uh, was on there. He was one of the, the presenters. 
and he absolutely got slaughtered. So like enough people were watching it. So it was cool that like like a judge, you only like for instance, you know, like Ben Carter and Dave Letherby, they are anonymous in terms yeah. of like world judges. Like you could say they are names to people and no one have a clue who they are because with jet referees and judges, you only get talking about when you do a bad job. Same as ring announcers. Yeah. I think I I I'm I think I'm quite boring in the fact that I can just blend into a show and not not take enough focus with people. Like anytime I've done a, a televised show, I, I never get abused. Just and I, I'm questioned. Well, was it even did it, did anybody watch it? <laughs> yeah, because because I like you know I I like watching comedy roasts and stuff. You know, I I I, I want to see what people write about me. <laughs> So we like, see. If, if you want, I can I can ask Aaron and Sledgy to to continuously write stuff about you after your shows. If you want, <laughs> I'm oh, sure mate. they'll oblige. And and the thing is, like, mate. so <laughs> they'll probably text you rather than write it out in an open forum anyway. But uh, but when you talk about like you're you're talking about conveying a message and about the MC, that is their prime focus is to convey a message. You're passing on information with. Like you spoke about Craig from from who is Craig, wasn't it? From Scotland. Um, yeah, yeah. You've got yourself from Wales, and you've got and the third person that you spoke about a couple of times, Sledgy. Three people with very very strong uh, 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 regional accents. All of them, when they're emceeing, can convey that message that that people will understand it in in a way that 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 yeah. message is being passed on, and yet you get you get people with who haven't got a strong dialect or strong accent screaming and shouting and nobody can understand them or, or, yeah. or, or just not conveying that message as well as, as people who haven't got a stronger accent. Cause you, for you, Rick, if you had decided, <clears throat> let's be honest, if you had a couple of beers and then started talking and got a bit excited you, you'll start talking a lot faster and and people may not understand you as easily first-hand experience in in uh, in Abu Dhabi from that one Rick so it's <laughs> <laughs> but but for you for you when you're announcing every single word is is crystal clear and people know people know what you're saying yeah no that's that's important and I'm glad you shared that because that's, that's all I really want is 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 clarity and um, yeah. and I think that's what anybody wants. Uh, as I said, anybody can bring the hype uh, and 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 get the crowd excited. Trying to get a crowd of drunk people excited—that's not a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're about to watch men commit violence on each other. They're already excited. They've, so they've already seen a little dolly bird walking around the cage with a with a card and and a, and a skimpy pair of pants, and they're about to watch two men punch each other or or commit acts of violence on each other. All you've got to do is go, "Woohoo! Come on, guys, let's watch them!" And they'll they'll, uh, yeah, they'll, exactly. they'll be up for it. So so when everybody thinks about the catchphrases and how they're going to deliver it and how they're going to build up that intro, and nobody cares. 
<laughs> the long and short of it, guys, nobody gives a fuck about you. So <laughs> yeah, and and, and 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 that is like you remember, you know, in uh, Abu Dhabi, you know, the young lad Daniel who who helped yeah. me out. Um, he 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 went out there because he won a journalism course and he was excited to meet me because he does a lot of ring announcing in, in Pakistan and he'd never mm-hmm. met another ring announcer before. So he was like, he had 101 questions to ask me. And I was like, have you got any advice? I was like, yeah, first of all, nobody cares. Nobody gives a flying fuck what you got to say. And the thing is, it sounds weird coming from me because... Yeah. I love my job. I love ring announcing. I have a network of ring announcers all over the world. And a lot of them I enjoy watching. I enjoy talking to them. Some of them are good friends. And we exchange ideas. And when I'm around them, I'm like, wow, someone I've got something in common with. But at the same time, I'm like, nobody gives a fuck. (laughs) 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 So like, it's it's an anomaly how I can love my job and be important, you know, have a self self have a self-importance and and everything and guidelines and rules and like a code of ethics I follow about ring announcing, but at the same time admit nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking hell. Well look, Rick, let's um is there anybody for you now like we've gone through the life and times like what's the next step for you Rick what what are you looking to do next over the next few years or if if there's anything that you want to throw out there and you want to you want to put out your your good juju or whatever it is that you're going this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to achieve and you want it out there is there anything out there or is it is it just you're gonna you want to keep it all wrapped up inside I I I don't really know at the moment uh like I kind of want to like I'm loving my life and how it is at the moment. I love looking forward to going to the IMAF events and I, I've got regular gigs in like Sweden, Denmark, Italy and, and a few other countries. And I love traveling. Um, I'd like to like what I want to do is have them like, big shows where it's like I, I don't even really need to work twice a month and then like have the rest of the month off where yeah. I'm doing enough money off them, them two shows sort of thing but then I, I think I'd be bored if I didn't have a show on the weekend like like I would literally MC anything uh, I don't really <laughs> I, I supermarket don't really opening yeah with a, yeah. With well, a like, <laughs> I do, like I do I do graduation ceremonies for the university local uni and I, I do like business shows and but like if someone says to me like oh can you do like an amateur boxing show on a Wednesday night in front of 150 people I'm like yeah because I, I love my job and and like Craig Stephen and that, you know he always says to me like never forget where you come from and and stuff and he there was times when he was on top of the world when he would be doing like anthony joshua in uh in wembley stadium he'd do the undercard for michael buffer and then on sunday he'd, he'd make sure he got home to glasgow so he can do like 
the Scottish Amateur Championships. Yeah. And then like fighters would come up to him and be like, Wow, you you were you were doing the undercut for Joshua last night and and, that, and and he said like, Yeah, I could I could lose all these big shows I'm doing. I could lose in an instant. Like but I'd always have them amateur shows to go back to and I I mean he he does it because he loves it. Do you know what I mean? So like yeah, I, I love my job and and even if like I lost all the the the, the big jobs like I've got I'd still I'd still work as an MC, I'd still do all the little jobs just because I love it. I love like you know, it'd be it'd be so good if I could just do a like work for one of the big boxing promoters and get a regular like in like Buddy Johnson right now, he's signed with Boxer mm-hmm. and he's he's got a contract with him and he knows like he prioritizes them now over everyone and he knows when his next show is gonna be uh when they announce it, he's the guy. And I'd I'd love that. I've never really had that with with a promoter, a, a big promoter. I've always been like apart from IMAF, I've always been the guy that covers the bigger guys. Do you know what I mean? Uh yeah. which which I'm cool with because I'm not attached to anybody yet. But like, even though I, I'm saying I do want an attachment, I do want that like priority, that big paying, big exposure show. I still like the fact that I'm freelance at the same time yeah. where I can, I choose my work. My work doesn't really choose me. Uh, yeah. So I don't really know what I want, but. Like it'd be nice to have a bit of security as well, but I don't think you're ever gonna be have security in in uh, in combat sports. I've seen promotions rise and fall and take everybody with them. I've seen people who've been so prominent in the sport at one point and then never seen again. Do you know what I mean? You, you can't put your eggs in in a, in a basket in the combat sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand that, mate. I understand. Yeah. That. yeah. Well, is is there anybody else? We're we're we're, we're slowly getting beto- towards the, uh, the the midnight hour. Well, very slowly. I, I know it's Rick, Ricky doesn't have to get up in the morning, so he's all right. Some of us, uh, yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> so only got to get up and make Becky a cup of tea when she's got to go to work. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> but is there anybody, Rick? So if if we were to is, is there anybody that you want to thank? Um, is there any? But is there any way people can follow the life and times and and the uh, the Cobra Kai versus uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Miyagi Do? Uh, how, how do how do they keep in contact? Well, who do you want to thank, and how do they keep in contact with you, Rick? Um, I got to thank uh, Becky because my girlfriend. Uh, thank my mother Joyce, give birth to me, and supports me. Uh, my sisters. And then there's a lot of people in the scenes, a lot of the promoters who use me and uh, obviously guy, the MCs like Craig, Sledge and, and Bruce Buffer who have, like the three of them have been like my major influences in in Ring and Amson. Uh, yeah, all the promoters who use me, especially the ones at IMAF like Ali and Tatiana who 
were just absolute legends. I can't forget Mark Goddard because the guy like vouches for me, even though he used to hate me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like a mouthy guy on uh, like Cage Warriors. So when he first met me in like 2004 or 2005, and he's like, Oh, you were MMA alien, are you? Oh, I was like, yeah. And then, like, and when I was like a shout DMC on, uh, like, our Mac, a show in Liverpool that we both worked on, and like, could he, like, he was cringing behind me when I was like shouting from start to finish. Uh, like, I've saw like over the years, um, I've earned his respect and. Now, like, he, like, vouches for me and, and puts my name in, in the hat for, like, some cool shows as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, yeah, Mark, Mark, like, I, it, hopefully you'll, you'll listen to this, but you probably cringe at half the stuff I've said, to be honest. Yeah. But, yeah, Mark, <laughs> Mark's done so much for me, you know? Uh, and, uh, yeah, so just big shout out while it's in, publicly, like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah, about it, really. And yourself, of course, Mike. Oh, shucks. Hey, thanks, Rick. Yeah. yeah got me blushing for, now. For, for <laughs> thinking I'm interesting enough to be on your podcast. Mate, it was, it's, it's, you've got a story to tell, and it's a, it's a unique oh. side of the sport that, um, that, people need to know about and and it's it's every side right why would why did i think that somebody would listen to a a bald fat fucking judge from surrey uh, <laughs> why why did i think that anybody would want to listen to to my podcast and it's and it's not because of me everyone's got a story to tell if if there's out, out of this if somebody can be influenced if somebody can be uh, inspired, sorry, not influenced. If someone could be inspired by listening to what you've done, if one person in this whole entire world, billions of people in this world, can be inspired by Ricky Wright's story, that's enough for me. If what, if one ring announcer could listen to this podcast and realize that nobody gives a fuck, <laughs> <laughs> then it, then it's, then it's all been. It's all been for a good purpose. I forgot to mention someone. Gotta give a shout out to Chris Jones. He's the only person I know who listens to every single podcast I've ever done and complains after that I've told the same story as the previous podcast. <laughs> so I every time I do a podcast, I think of him and how I can make things sound a little bit different and how we can change things. So Chris Jones, hope you enjoyed this one. You yeah. Jack. Jack is a, a Swansea fan, uh, and, okay. and I'm a Cardiff fan, so you do it, Jack. <laughs> you, you. That's how I'm gonna. Uh, next time I see Chris, that's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna say hello to him now. You dirty Jack. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, Rick. Thanks for uh, th- thanks for thanks for coming on. And um, and oh, Rick. How can people follow you? How can people follow the life and times of Ricky Wright? Um, I got. Uh, Instagram, MC underscore Ricky underscore right. I think it's the same on Twitter. I've also got a YouTube channel where I 
vlog of my life and times of my travels as a ring announcer called Has Tux Will Travel. And uh, it's, 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 it's usually just me eating cheeseburgers when I've got nothing else to do at a show, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's good watch. Well, guys, there you have it. You got to make sure you 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 follow Ricky and uh, and see where in the world he's eating a cheeseburger next. So, right. <laughs> Ricky, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast, mate. And uh, I'll, well, I'll see you at the weekend. Thanks again to Ricky for joining me and taking us through his life and times in MMA. I hope you can see from his body of work that Ricky is a true professional and will hit the real big time one day. Next time, I'm joined by the voice of Cage Warriors and one of the only men who could have Dutch MMA from the early noughties as his specialist subject on Mastermind, the unbelievable Brad Wharton.